Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com slash support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Darkness. Fire. Anguish. These are some words that come to mind when most people think of hell. But what exactly is hell? Popular culture has greatly influenced the way people perceive this topic, and yet very few people know what scripture says about it. On today's episode, we will explore one of the most controversial concepts found in the Bible. We will discuss what Judaism teaches about hell, what the Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament reveal about it, and how we can share the gospel with people who have questions about it. Joining us for this episode is Chosen People Ministries New York Regional Director, Robert Walter. Robert is a missionary to the Jewish people, serving in Brooklyn, New York. As a Gentile believer, God has laid a heavy burden on his heart to share Jesus with his chosen people. Robert completed seminary at the Charles L. Feinberg Center for Messianic Jewish Studies and now teaches first-year Greek at the seminary. And he's a returning guest, so Robert, welcome back to Our Hope. Yes, thank you, Nicole. It's always, uh, always good to be here. Here is a question I never thought I would ask on this podcast. What is hell? Hmm. Yeah. Is it a place? Is it a state of being? What is it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's a good question. And uh, it's, you know, this is a heavy topic. Um, but uh, everything that we talk about here, Nicole, as you know, what we want to focus on is like biblical definitions and biblical terms. And, right any kind of definition that we have for hell, we want it to be founded and based on what is in the scripture. Um, so one of the best, like very brief, succinct definitions of hell is that it is a place. It is a place of future punishment for the lost, the unrepentant, and the wicked dead. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, uh, and that, that's a definition. Again, it's based on scripture. And I actually got it from the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. It's a oh, very wow. good resource. Interesting. So it is an actual place, and it's a place of future punishment. Now, when we think about hell, we know that in the creation narrative, it's not mentioned there. But at some mm-hmm. point, hell had to be created if it's a place. Um, why does hell exist? Did God create it for humans? Was it for another purpose? What's the deal? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so what we know again from Scripture about why hell was created and what the purpose of hell is, um, we do see Yeshua address this in Matthew twenty five forty one. He actually uh, is speaking. Uh, this is part of the Olivet discourse toward mm-hmm. the end of his earthly ministry, and he refers to hell and he he describes it like this: Matthew twenty five forty one. Then he will say also to those on his left. Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. 
So one thing we learn about hell uh, from the words of Yeshua here is that it was created, it was prepared for the devil, for Satan, right? The adversary, uh, this supernatural being uh, that exists, who is um, uh, the the enemy, the devil, right? The adversary, yeah. the accuser, the the father of all lies. And that hell was created, a place that was created specifically for Hasatan, Satan, and his angels. Now, some other things we learn about hell from the scripture and, and uh, ways that it's described. Um, it's described as being the final destiny of mm -hmm. unbelievers. And it's described as being a furnace of fire or an eternal fire or eternal punishment. We see all those terms used in Matthew 13 uh, and in Matthew 25. It's described as being a place of outer darkness, the place of weeping and torment in Matthew chapter 8. It's the place called eternal sin in Mark 3.29. It's a place that's called the wrath of God in Romans 2.5. It's, mm. um, it's also described as being uh, uh, everlasting separation from the Lord where those who are in hell never see the glory of God's power. That's taken from 2 Thessalonians 1.9. Yeah. It's referred in uh, Revelation 9 verses 1 and 11 as the bottomless pit, the place of continuous torment in Revelation 14, the lake of fire or the second death in Revelation uh, 21.8, a place, again, for the devil and his demons in Matthew 25.41. Wow. So that's a lot of verses from the New Testament about mm -hmm. hell. And as a, as you're saying all these verses, I'm thinking, hmm, does the Old Testament really talk about hell? Because I noticed when I was writing this episode that certain Bible translations do not use the word hell at all in the Old Testament, but instead they use this word sheol. Mm -hmm. What is sheol? And is it different from hell as we understand it? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, again, another excellent uh, question and something that we have to talk about when we're talking about hell, because this idea apparently developed over time, which should not surprise us when it comes to um, certain themes and ideas and truths in the Bible. Mm -hmm. There is something called progressive revelation in scripture. Uh, yeah. It's not like in, in the first few chapters of Genesis, God just like opens up the fire hose and pours <laughs> out all this great spiritual truth um, about everything that we should know, uh, you know, that he wants us to know. Right. Uh, no, right? So things progressively were revealed more and more throughout scripture as time went on. And it's the same thing with hell. When we come to the Old Testament, uh, there are a few words that are used, and Sheol is a big one, okay? So mm -hmm. it's used predominantly to describe not necessarily hell, but just the place of the dead, or the grave, or the pit, or, or again, the, the place where those who have died have now departed to. And there are many, many uh, examples of the word Sheol being used in that sense, Um so it's not necessarily defining or describing um, what happens to a person when they're there, uh, whether it's uh, they go to eternal damnation or to eternal life. It's simply a word that's used um, for, again, uh, this place where the dead depart to. Now, there are some texts in the Old Testament that do suggest that there is this, this threat of divine judgment that that comes after death that we read in the Old Testament or in the Tanakh. 
Psalm 9, 17, Psalm 55, 15. These, again, point to this idea that there will be some sort of uh, divine judgment. And another passage that I think is really important for us in the Old Testament, in, in the Tanakh, uh, that helps us understand uh, what will take place uh, in the afterlife. Because, you know, again, kind of zooming out a little bit and thinking about the idea of hell. And one thing that goes hand in hand with hell is judgment, is God's judgment, is the wrath of God that is poured out um, onto uh, unbelievers and Satan and his fallen angels and demons, right? Uh, that there will be this moment where uh, divine retribution is, is meted out. And one passage that in, in the Old Testament that really points ahead to this, it's very brief, very short, but it's in Daniel 12, verse 2. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Mm. So here in Daniel 12, verses 1 and 2, again, we have this, uh, this, this prophetic description here of... Uh, of those who have died actually being resurrected. All people who have died are being resurrected, brought back to life, brought back, if you will, in Old Testament terms, from Sheol, right? From this place of the dead. Uh, and what happens at that resurrection is judgment. And that uh, apparently Daniel's letting us know that there will be a judgment for believers. And the result of the judgment for believers uh, that will come uh, is that it will lead to eternal life or everlasting life. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have the others that Daniel refers to who yeah. are raised up, but rather than going to everlasting life, they go to a place of disgrace and everlasting contempt. So uh, this is really like one of the earliest seeds of the idea of hell or the theology of hell uh, mm -hmm. that we find in the Old Testament. And sure enough, when we come to the New Testament, we see the idea developed even more. Uh, and we see the, uh, the, the prophecies concerning these future judgments that will take place uh, for believers and for unbelievers. Wow. So we do get a little glimpse then of hell in the Old Testament. Um, as you were describing all that, there was one question that came to mind. Um, when we die, are we waiting to find out where we're going to go or which if we are you know, going to have eternal life or if we're going to have eternal damnation or do we just go directly there? Right, right. Yeah. So um, uh so for I think again it's it's probably important in answering this question to sort of back up a little bit mm. and uh and follow again the progression of how this these uh these truths were revealed by God and leading up to the time of the New Testament leading up to the time of of Yeshua um we do see that these ideas okay and these um these certain beliefs and understandings of the judgment that would take place beyond death uh, further developed during the second temple Jewish period. So again, we're talking about this time period between um, uh, like probably 500 BC 
and the coming of Yeshua, and ultimately the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And uh, and there did develop this idea and this understanding that there were like sort of different divisions within Sheol, right, for the good and for the evil. Uh, so that yeah. when you died, if you were a faithful believer and follower of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and trusting ultimately, you know, looking ahead to the the coming sacrifice of the Messiah, Yeshua, you would be sort of um, in this place of, of oh, comfort, okay? And, and Yeshua actually refers to this in the parable that he tells about Lazarus and the rich man and how the uh, the faithful, the believers, wind up in this place called Abraham's bosom, mm-hmm. right? Again, this place of comfort and Abraham is referred to, uh, you know, the, the sort of the, the patriarch, right? Yeah. Um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and Abraham who uh, was righteous and his, his faith is what credited uh, that righteousness for him. Um, and that a believer is there in that place. Whereas at the other end or in this other sort of compartment of Sheol or death, uh, the unbeliever, the unfaithful, um, the wicked, was in this other place of torment, okay? Yeah. And they were uh, conscious of this. They were aware of this torment. And uh, and those who were in this place of torment, and even those who were in Abraham's bosom, they were unable to communicate with the living, mm-hmm. right? There was this chasm that existed, not just between each other, the the righteous and the wicked, in in this place of Sheol, in this place of, or you know, the, the New Testament word that's used for it is Hades, or again, this place of death. And, and they were un, unable to uh, communicate with each other and unable to communicate with the living. Yeah. So beyond the time of Yeshua, we do have other indications uh, that beyond death, we're not just asleep. Uh, we are aware. We are conscious. We, we know um, uh, what our situation is. Uh, we see this in a number of passages throughout Revelation. We see Yeshua uh, mention these things a number of times, even, even as he hung on the cross and he spoke to the one uh, repentant um, uh, robber. Yeah, thank you. Uh, who was on the cross next to him, and he said to him, "You know, today you will be with me in paradise." Mm-hmm. Oh, and again, Paul refers to this in in Second uh, Corinthians five, uh, this concept, this idea that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's speaking to believers there. So for believers to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And for unbelievers, uh, yeah, yeah, we go to this place of, uh, of wailing and gnashing of teeth and await uh, the time of the resurrection when the final judgment uh, ensues. Wow. So then we know now that after we die, we will be aware of where we are. Yes. Thank you for explaining all that because that's kind of foundational to to the rest of this episode. And we do have an episode about heaven coming out this season as well. Oh, um, good. I don't know if we're releasing it before this episode or after this episode, um, but we will talk more about the present with the Lord absent from the body mm-hmm. uh, verse in that episode. So it sounds like we know that in Jesus's day, there was some understanding of hell. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, you know, second temple error Judaism. Yeah. 
Um, Revelation 2014, which you mentioned earlier, it says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. These events take place during the final judgment. Does this verse indicate that there are different versions of hell? So I don't know if we could say that there are different versions of hell, but certainly different stages in the unfolding of God's judgment. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's in view with Revelation 20, verse 14. And so one other thing that I would add when talking about the unfolding of God's judgment is, again, this idea that there are uh, that there is this judgment that will take place beyond the resurrection of all the dead, those who are believers and those who are unbelievers. And one thing that is further revealed to us in the New Testament about this is that this actually takes place in two different phases, that there is a resurrection of believers that comes first. And this judgment for believers is referred to as the judgment seat of Christ or the the Bema, uh, the Bema judgment, the judgment seat of Messiah. Uh, And it's referenced or mentioned in Romans 14.10, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, in 1 Corinthians 3.10-15. Uh, And it's only believers that are appearing at this judgment, at this judgment seat of Messiah. Um, On the other end, what we see in Revelation chapter 20 is more along the lines of what's called the great white throne judgment. And Mm. at that judgment, that's only unbelievers. Okay, So, so no believers are present at that judgment. And unbelievers then are judged according to their works. And that's what we see taking place in Revelation 20, uh, that great white throne judgment. And, you know, in those two different resurrections and judgments, uh, we see Daniel 12 two, you know, come to life and come to fruition, where some are raised from the dead to eternal life, to everlasting life. That's believers. Uh, and our opportunity, okay, again, this is another very important point to make when we talk about um, God's wrath, God's judgment, heaven, hell, and uh, and these things. It's only in this life, only in this life, that we have the opportunity to take possession of, or obtain, or or give our life to the Lord and become a co-heir, right, and and inherit eternal life. Uh, so this is our chance. There's there's no indication that beyond death, that we have a second chance, that we have another opportunity. Uh, no indication in the Bible that that is even on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, very important distinction to make. Now, one other thing I want to mention about, you know, sort of in the same line of uh, your question, Nicole, about different versions of hell. Uh, while yes, we don't see different versions of hell, uh, we see differences in in the unfolding of God's judgment. However, we do see uh, in the New Testament that there are varying degrees of punishment in hell, Mm. that it is worse for others, it is worse for some than others. Uh, And, you know, this is, this this comes up a few times. Uh, Probably one of the most prevalent examples of this is in Matthew 11, verses 20 through 24, where Yeshua is speaking, right? And uh, this is what he says. Then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done, because they did not repent. Mm. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. 
For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Wow. So this, again, is one of these examples where apparently there exists uh, different gradations of punishments uh, that will uh, that different people will experience in hell. Wow, that's very eye-opening. I never even knew that. Like, I've read that verse before, never made that connection. Um, would you say that those who have heard the gospel maybe are held to a higher accountability than those who have not? Yes. Yeah. Again, that's another thing that we see uh, in the text um, that, you know, the, the more knowledge we have or the more that we're aware of, uh, the more evidence we have against us mm. for um, when it comes to, to judgment. Now, I don't want any of us to then say, well, it's better that we don't share the gospel because then it, <laughs> it'll be a little bit of an easier punishment yeah. uh, for people to endure. Like, no, that's that's that that's not <laughs> that's not where the logic should take us no. uh, of that truth. No, this should motivate us. We we don't want anyone to um, uh, to experience the the fires of hell and the wrath of God. Um, that that should never be our desire. Um, uh, rather, we we want to be used by God because we have experienced uh, the change, the transformation that comes uh, in and through an encounter with Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, and uh, and we understand the value and the magnitude of what took place on the cross when He took the wrath of God on our behalf. He mm -hmm. took the punishment uh, again, the the wrath that we deserve because of our sins. Yeshua took us in, took that in our place. And it's not anything we did. It's not anything good about us that that uh, caused Yeshua to do that for us. He did it because he loves us. And we have been transformed. We have been changed. And now we have been indwelt by his Holy Spirit and empowered and equipped so that we can now participate in the kingdom ministry that the Lord is doing. And a major part of that kingdom ministry that the Lord is doing is to go out into all the nations and proclaim the gospel, proclaim the good news, and uh, teach them to obey and make disciples and, and baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit uh, so that others will also have that encounter with Yeshua and, and have the confidence and the peace and the comfort and the assurance that they will be with him forever. War has begun in Israel, and the country is dealing with an existential crisis. Almost everyone in Israel knows someone who is missing, injured, or killed as a result of the recent attacks. We need your prayers. Please pray for our staff in Israel as they fight this physical and spiritual war in the land. We invite you to pray for five minutes each day over these five prayer points. First, pray for those who are mourning their lost loved ones. Second, pray for the safety of civilians, both Israelis and Palestinians. Third, pray for the international hostages being held in Gaza and their families. Fourth, 
pray for the soldiers in the Israeli Defense Forces as they risk their lives to protect their country. Lastly, pray for the hearts of Israelis and Palestinians to soften so they may come to know Jesus. As the body of Messiah, let us stand united in prayer for Israel. Now that we understand hell, how do we apply this? How do we use this knowledge? Um, Because I think God reveals whatever he revealed about hell in scripture to us. He revealed it for a purpose. It's not to scare us, but it's to inform us. Um, So first, as a ministry that serves the Jewish community, I'm curious, do Jewish people believe in hell? Does Judaism today teach about it? Yeah. Yeah. that's, That's a really good question. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to, uh, come off as like an expert on what all Jewish synagogues or people or parents or grandparents are teaching or passing mm-hmm. on to the next generation. So I'll just share a little bit about what I know about it. Yeah. Um, and for the most part, the idea of hell, um, uh, doesn't carry the same weight. It's not that it's ignored or, or not a, a topic that people discuss, um, it, it is part of sort of the theology in, you know, quote unquote Judaism. Uh, but even just making a statement like that, I mean, there's, there are so many different versions of Judaism that are out there and, uh, so many different things that are emphasized. Um, what we can say, uh, about sort of, you know, a Jewish understanding or a Jewish view of hell is that it does come up and there is this idea uh, that there is life after death. And uh, what's really emphasized is the world to come. And mm-hmm. or, or the in the Hebrew, it's olam haba, right? The world to come. Yeah. And when the world to come is described, it's sort of like a version of heaven, okay? It, and it's it could be referred to as like the messianic age or uh, uh, honestly, another description or term that's used to describe the world to come in sort of Jewish theology is Gan Eden, okay, the Garden of Eden, Mm -hmm. that it's like this return to what uh, creation was like before the fall, uh, and that that is where God is is bringing us. And the theology uh, that you'll find that we'll find, uh, for the most part, in sort of rabbinic writings, which again shape um, uh, rabbinic writings, which again shape so much of what we see taught in you know in traditional uh, Judaism. Um, the idea is that all Israel has a place in the world to come. Okay, so if you are uh, Jewish, if you are part of Israel. If you are a, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then you have a place in the world to come. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when you read that in the rabbinic literature, in uh, well, it's Mishnah, it's in the Mishnah, it's in the Prakeavot, Mishnah Sanhedrin 10.1, right, is, is the reference. When you keep reading, after it says all Israel has a place in the world to come, it then goes on to list all the exceptions, except mm-hmm. for the idolater and the fornicator and, and goes on and on oh, uh, wow. listing all the exceptions. So what sort of developed in um, uh, in sort of Jewish rabbinic theology was this, I- was this idea that uh, after you die um, <clears throat> or before you enter the world to come, 
uh, if you you know are one of those exceptions, right? If you have some kind of issue, some kind of sin that must be dealt with, uh, the teaching is actually that you'll go to kind of like a purgatory mm. for a year, and that sin will be purged, and then you'll be ready to enter into the world to come. Uh, so this again is sort of like a, a, a rabbinic Talmudic uh, sort of thinking. Um, now, on top of that, again, you know, as as you might expect, not everybody agrees on that. Um, there are some who believe that those who are utterly wicked will never have a chance to enter into the world to come, that they will be eternally damned. Uh, others believe that the wicked are just totally annihilated and utterly destroyed and then cease to exist wow. uh, beyond um, uh, beyond. Uh, their time on this earth. And then again, like I said, others will say that there's a year long, uh, a 12 month cycle or uh, this purgatory uh, that someone will go go through. Um, so all that to say uh, that that's sort of what's out there in you know traditional Judaism when it comes to hell. What's really uh, the focus in so much of traditional Jewish religious teaching is not really centered that much on the afterlife. Uh, it's it's really focused and centered on what we do in this life and the idea that we are here to uh, to repair the world. Tikkun olam is the phrase. We're repairing the world uh, and it sort of develops even more from there. Wow, that's really fascinating. I never knew that Judaism has like its own form of purgatory. When you were listing those exceptions, though, I thought, man, there's no hope for any of us because who hasn't sinned, you know? And I think that really uh, just shows how much we need Yeshua's atonement for our sins. Um, And a lot of that, you know, as even as believers, it can be scary when we read about hell in scripture. Mm -hmm. And I think most people would say that it sounds very unloving. And we know that God is a loving, good God. So how do we reconcile God's goodness and his love with the existence of hell? Yeah. 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 I think this is uh, this is definitely um, something that, you know, understandably uh, believers can can struggle with or grapple with. And yeah. there are some theologies out there that have developed um uh, these ideas, actually similar ideas to what we just talked about in the traditional Jewish um, uh, realm. Yeah. Uh, this idea of what's called annihilationism, mm-hmm. that at the end, those who are condemned are simply annihilated and that yeah. uh, to be cast into the lake of fire or the second death is just a total annihilation. You cease to exist. There is no ongoing uh, conscious eternal suffering that a person endures. <clears throat> That's one idea. Uh, and then another idea, yeah, you, you do find certain uh, streams in the Christian world that uh, believe that there is a purgatory, uh, that there is sort of like this second opportunity or this cleansing period that can take place. Um, but uh, so much of that really just runs contrary to, again, the biblical descriptions of yeah. hell. And how does it line up with the fact that God is good? And God is loving because he is. How do we know he is? Because, uh, because well, first of all, scripture tells us and demonstrates to us time and time again, mm-hmm. the goodness of God, the mercy of God, how gracious God is, how loving God is. 
Uh, so how can that God at the same time create hell? Well, I think, you know, it it, it helps us um, to look at sort of uh, the full picture of God that we're given, that's revealed to us in the Bible. And yes, God is gracious and loving and good and merciful, uh, but at the same time, he is just. Mm-hmm. He is just. And he is a just and fair and righteous judge. And uh, and what we deserve, uh, what we as, as human beings created in the image of God, but yet willfully disobeying him and sinning, sinning against him, uh, the just reward for that, uh, for what we choose to do, yeah. uh, is eternal separation from God and eternal damnation and and uh, again, all those descriptions of hell that are given to us in the New Testament that I mentioned earlier, uh, that it's and it's an eternal fire. It's eternal punishment. It's outer darkness, the place of weeping and torment. It's the wrath of God. It's everlasting separation from the Lord, never to see the glory of his power. It's mm-hmm. the bottomless pit. It's continuous torment. Uh, these are all biblical terms used to describe uh, hell. And, you know, n- notice how how often eternal is mentioned here. Yes. Uh, it's, it comes up frequently and it's intentional. And, you know, the, the, the sins that we've committed against God have eternal ramifications mm. and, um, and it, it, it's heartbreaking, you know, and it is disturbing to consider that, but that is the reality of what's at stake. Um, and, and from there, you know, it, it helps us appreciate, I think, that much more what Yeshua has done for us, uh, realizing what is at stake, uh, and then knowing that God put on flesh, entered into the chaos, entered into the brokenness, was tempted as we are tempted, mm-hmm. um, and was rejected and despised and oppressed, and yet willingly laid down his life as a sacrifice, as a substitute to take and endure the eternal wrath of God that we deserve on that cross so that we can have life, so that we can have eternal life, so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be cleansed, so that we can now be called holy, so that we can now be declared righteous and just in his eyes, even though, again, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. Uh, But our gracious and loving and merciful God has done this for us. That's the beauty of the gospel. We don't deserve it. This is salvation is a free gift. We just put our faith in Yeshua as Lord, as Savior, as Messiah. As we wrap up, we have one more question. A lot of what we know about hell comes from the Bible. And there is a very good quote in one of the letters towards the end of the New Testament. This is from uh, Peter's letter. He's one of Yeshua's disciples. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. It's clear that God does not want people to go to hell. So how can understanding hell help us as we share Yeshua? Yeah, yeah, that that's, uh, again, a, a really good question. And uh, I think it goes back to some of what we've 
been discussing already, uh, understanding the magnitude of what is at stake um, should motivate us and should prompt us to uh, to want to share the gospel, to want to see the best for somebody. Uh, and the absolute best for anybody in this world is to know God through his son, Yeshua, and to, again, have that encounter and, and uh, and believe and accept the gospel and the transformative power that is unleashed in that moment when a person receives Yeshua, receives Jesus, uh, where they become a new creation, where they become uh, a possessor of eternal life, someone who is now inheriting eternal life, um, and uh, and one who is experiencing the love of God. So, understanding again the uh, the weight of what is at stake uh, ought to move us and ought to prompt us to uh, to be more proactive in sharing the gospel and, uh, and in speaking the truth in love. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Romans 5 verses 8 through 10. While the reality of hell is scary, there is hope. Jesus took the punishment we deserved for our sins so that we can have eternal life. Anyone who has put their faith in him as their Messiah is written in the book of life. Good news for all of us. If you want to learn more about how you can have atonement through Yeshua, check out followmessiah.com or email us at believe at chosenpeople.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast or a rating on Spotify. Let us know how this podcast has moved you. We would also love if you can share it on social media with your friends and family. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope. This episode was produced by Nicole Vaca, written by Grace Swee, and edited by John Bautista. This episode was also created thanks to Dr. Mitch Glazer, Fernando Mercado, Kyron Bautista, Rachel Larson, Nathan Scherer, and Samantha Rodbell. I'm Nicole Vaca. Until next time.